Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. My name is Rob. I'm a tour guide and the founder of Trip Hacks DC Tours. This is going to be a solo episode, just me, on a travel topic that I think is really important, but is not frequently discussed. It's a trip hack that you can use when you travel to Washington, D.C., or anywhere, really. It's about the methods you use to book your travel. And by that I mean which websites you use, and why certain websites are not as advantageous as you might think, and in some cases may actually give you a worse experience compared to the alternative. If this is your first time listening, welcome. If you're a longtime listener, welcome back. Trip Hacks DC is a podcast, YouTube channel, and tour company. My goal is to give you the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for exploring Washington, D.C., and sometimes, like on this episode, advice from a tour guide and tour industry insider that you can use on any trip. If you want to check out the show notes from this episode, you can do that over at triphexdc.com slash podcast. And while you're over there, you'll find info about DC guided tours and more. Now, if you're listening to this podcast episode, it means you're already a pretty savvy traveler. You're someone who wants to learn to find out the tips and hacks to maximize your travel experience. I don't want anyone to feel bad about their specific travel preferences and how they do things, but I do want to teach, and I think this is an important topic. So if you know someone who would benefit from this information, share it. Send it around. I want everyone to have the best possible trip that they can. When it comes to planning, researching, and booking travel, I know that people tend to have their favorite resources, their favorite websites, their favorite apps, and once they find a system that works, they tend to stick with it. Humans are creatures of habit, and habits die hard. Travel is big business. Pre-COVID, it was huge and a growing industry, and there are a lot of companies trying to get a slice of the pie. Some companies, like TripHacksDC, are what I call operators. We are on the ground, providing you the experiences during your trip. And others are booking companies. These are the companies you use to research and book activities, but they don't actually provide you with any on-the-ground services. I think it's important to appreciate how much money travel booking websites spend to convince you that they're worth using. Because they're not operators and don't actually provide any experiences. The entire business model of these companies revolves around the idea that booking someone else's hotel or tour or flight through them is a good idea. It was a big deal when Expedia said they were cutting their advertising budget back to $1 billion in 2020 because of COVID. $1 billion is what they cut it back to. In 2019, Expedia spent $5 billion on advertising, and that's just one company out of many. Now, this episode was actually inspired by another podcast with a similar name called All the Hacks with Chris Hutchins. All the Hacks is in my regular podcast rotation, and Chris has some really interesting content about hacking many aspects of life. But what really inspired me was actually his very first episode about a topic near and dear to my heart, travel hacks. I'll leave a link to that episode in the show notes. And the part that I think is really important starts around the 19-minute mark, if you want to listen for yourself. But to recap, Chris and his guests are talking about this new membership program called TripAdvisor Plus, where you can pay $99 per year, and then, in theory, you get cheaper access to hotel rooms and a few other perks. 
Chris asks his guest a simple question. Does this program actually save you money? And how his guest responds is really important. The guest says, to your credit card, it will be cheaper. But the experience will also be cheaper, and therefore, you don't want to do it. That single sentence kind of blew my mind because it perfectly described why, from a customer's point of view, you don't want to use third-party websites to book things on your trip. So keep that phrase in mind because I think it's the linchpin to this entire discussion. I also think it flips the way that many people think about travel hacks. Usually, when you hear about a travel hack, the premise is you can get the same thing for less money. Whereas in this case, the premise is if you book direct, you can actually get a better thing for the same money. So it might not be as attention-grabbing as your traditional travel hacks, but I think it's just as or even more valuable in many ways. Now, before I dig into this, I want to let you in on a little inside secret here. Behind the scenes, a lot of travel operators do not have great relationships with the booking websites. Probably the main reason is because the fees and commissions that the booking sites charge are ridiculously high. Let me ask you this. What do you think is a fair commission for referring a friend to buy something? 5%? 10%? Well, the minimum that any of these travel sites take is 20% of every sale, though for most, it's at least 25%, some 30%, and some of them now even let you pay as much commission as you want. And the higher the commission, the higher they will put you in their search results. So guess what? If I didn't care about running a profitable business, I could pay, I don't know, 50%, half of my tour revenue to the booking website and buy myself right into that number one ranked spot. That's bad for me, but it's also really bad for you, the traveler, because it means the rankings on these websites are becoming completely meaningless. They don't relate to quality. They don't relate to popularity. They just relate to who is the highest bidder. And what do you think those websites do with all that commission money? They turn around and spend a huge chunk of it on advertising, often on Google and Facebook, directly competing with the operator's own advertising. Basically, if an operator signs up to sell through a booking website, they are signing up to cannibalize their own business and competing against themselves with their own money. As an example, I just went on Google and typed in Grand Hyatt, Washington, D.C., The first thing that appeared was not an organic link to Hyatt.com. It was a paid advertisement to the Grand Hyatt page on one of those booking websites. A traveler who doesn't know any better will Google the hotel name, click the first link, which is actually a paid ad, and book their room through that site. The hotel then pays a commission to the website, which then goes back into that paid ad campaign, and around and around and around it goes. So you can sort of see the frustration that the operators are feeling. On the one hand, operators feel like you have to be listed on all of these websites because otherwise you might miss out on a lot of business, but they don't like it and don't like when people book with them through those websites. Now, some companies have fought very hard for a very long time to avoid these booking websites. Southwest Airlines is the quintessential example. For a regular traveler, if you want to book a Southwest flight, there is only one website where you can do it their own website. Of course, by not listing on any booking websites, Southwest keeps 100% of the money you spend on your flight. But the other benefit 
is that Southwest has full control over the travel experience. They control what the booking platform looks like, how the prices are displayed, what the confirmation email looks like. There is so much lower risk of website glitches or situations where the traveler pays the booking website, but Southwest actually never receives the reservation. Yes, that can and does happen even in 2021. Now, before you write me with a Southwest horror story, I think it's important to acknowledge that there is no perfect airline, and if you travel enough, you probably have a horror story with each of them. In aggregate, though, Southwest is typically ranked as one of the airlines with the highest customer satisfaction, and controlling the experience is a bit of a secret as to why. So I think this is a good segue into why this really matters for you, the traveler. The attitude that most customers take, and which I think is perfectly reasonable, is that the minutiae of running a business is not really their problem. If you're hungry, you probably don't really care how the sausage is made, as long as the sausage is delicious and sold to you at a fair price. This is even true for me, personally. When I walk into a restaurant, I don't ask the owner what the monthly rent is. I don't ask what the restaurant's advertising budget is. All I really care about is having a great dining experience. Now, imagine a hypothetical restaurant with a bunch of customers eating dinner. Some are having a great experience, others a very meh experience. And the only difference between what you get is whether you made a reservation on the restaurant's own website, some other website, or you just walked in the door with no reservation at all. It sounds a bit silly, but it's actually exactly what is happening when you book travel. It all goes back to that quote from the other podcast, to your credit card, it will be cheaper, but the experience will also be cheaper and therefore, you don't want to do it. Okay, if I could, let's do a quick history lesson because I think it's really important to understand where all these booking websites came from and why they're seemingly everywhere now. If you were born before a certain year, you probably know that how we book travel today is not how we used to do it. And if you're younger, <laughs> strap in because you might find this pretty fascinating. Imagine the year is 1990, one year before America Online was even called America Online. The internet existed, but very few people were on it, or even really knew what it was. So in 1990, say you wanted to take a trip from California to Washington, D.C. What did you do? Well, you would use a travel agent. But where did you even get a travel agent? If you were a frequent traveler, you might have a favorite travel agent that you could call by phone and interact with that way. If you didn't, you might go to a storefront, maybe inside the local shopping mall or strip mall, where travel agencies had physical storefronts that you could visit. So you walked into one of these storefronts, and there were probably advertisements for all kinds of packages, Disney World, the beach, New York City, even Europe if you are feeling adventurous. And if your trip didn't fit neatly into one of those packages, then a travel agent could help make arrangements for you. Back then, travel agents had primitive computers that connected directly into Global Distribution Systems, or GDSs, which gave them access to things like flight schedules, prices, hotel availability, and they could use those computer systems to make reservations. Okay, so now let's fast forward to the mid-90s. America Online had around 3 million users in 1995, which sounds like a lot, but is still tiny compared to the entire population. But people were starting to poke around online and airlines, hotels, and other operators started to realize they could reach customers directly and cut out the travel agent middlemen entirely. Of course, the flip side of this 
is that other people realized that they could take the old-fashioned travel agency business and move it online too. That's why inside the travel industry, we refer to booking websites as OTAs, short for Online Travel Agencies. This is how one of the earliest versions of Hotels.com actually got started. It was called the Hotel Reservation Network back then, and was essentially a big directory of hotels in a bunch of cities. The way that it worked was that a traveler could browse the website, find a hotel that they liked on the website, but they couldn't actually book it right there, like you can now. Instead, the traveler filled out a web form with which hotel they wanted, the dates, all that stuff, and then submitted it. Then a travel agent on the other end received it, made the booking, and emailed back the confirmation. In many ways, it was nothing more than a glorified email system. But you have to appreciate how novel this was for the time. You didn't have to pick up the phone. You didn't have to worry about long-distance charges. You didn't have to physically drive to the mall. And even a few hours, which by today's standards is an eternity, for the early internet was lightning fast. The fact that you could do this from the comfort of your home without ever interacting with another human being was also incredibly novel. Now, over the years, there have been many, many of these booking sites that have popped up. Some are still around, some are gone, many merged or kept their brand names but were acquired by mega corporations. You've probably heard of Hotels.com, Expedia, Priceline, Orbitz, Travelocity, Booking.com. Those are the big booking websites for hotels. For tours and activities, there's also Viator, TripAdvisor, Get Your Guide, Airbnb Experiences, and a bunch of others. These companies all have a similar business model, which is that they list flights, hotel rooms, tours, and activities, and when someone buys it, they keep a cut of the sale for themselves. So if you book a hotel room for $150 and the commission is 20%, that means the website takes $30 and the hotel gets $120. Some of the hotel booking websites have a slightly different business model called opaque pricing, but I'll cover that separately in a bit, so stay tuned. Okay, so far I think this is all pretty straightforward. When you book a hotel room through a booking website, the hotel makes less money than when you book it directly from them. Obviously, that's a reason why they would prefer you not use those websites. But it's actually worse for them than just that. And that's because of a business term called Customer Lifetime Value, or CLV. This is simply an estimate of how much money a customer will spend with a business over the course of their relationship with that business. For example, if I subscribe to Netflix at $8 per month, and I stay subscribed for 10 years before I finally decide I've watched everything there is to watch and cancel the subscription, then my Customer Lifetime Value to Netflix is $960, $8 times 120 months. Customer lifetime value is an especially important metric for businesses where customers tend to make a lot of recurring purchases. Sounds a lot like hotels and airlines, right? Travelers need to get places somehow and stay somewhere once they arrive. Here's a thought experiment. Say you're traveling to Washington, D.C., and you use Priceline to book a room at the Canopy Hilton at the Wharf. Whose customer are you? Hilton's or Priceline's? Take a second and think about that question. The answer is technically both. Hilton is the operator. They are getting paid to provide you a service. 
But Priceline is who captures your customer lifetime value. That's because Priceline is who you gave all your valuable data to. Your email address, phone number. If you book frequently through Priceline, they also know how often you travel, where you typically go, and how much you like to spend on things. Hilton might only get your name, maybe a phone number so they can reach you in case of an emergency, but Priceline is who's going to send your confirmation email, your reminder email two days before the trip. They're the ones who are going to contact you afterwards and ask you to leave a review on their website. You're never going to hear directly from Hilton because Hilton doesn't even know who you are or how to get a hold of you. Now, flip the situation around. Say you went right to Hilton.com, logged in to your H Honors account, and booked the same room at the same hotel, the Canopy Hilton at the Wharf. Now, the hotel doesn't have to pay a commission to some other website, but more importantly, you are fully the hotel's customer in this scenario. They send you the confirmation, the reminder email, the follow-up email, the periodic promotions. They get to capture your lifetime value, and that's exactly what they want because it's incredibly valuable. Airline and hotel reward programs are big business. There is an entire cottage industry of bloggers and consultants who teach you how to take advantage of these programs. But you have to remember that airlines and hotels do not offer these programs out of the goodness of their hearts. They do it because it's a price to pay to maximize your customer lifetime value. I think that once you understand why these companies do the things that they do, you can better understand why playing by their terms means you will have a better experience. So let's take a step back. Zoom out. What potential benefits would you, the traveler, get when you book, say, a hotel through a third-party website? Is the first thing that came to mind better price? It's okay if it is. The booking website industry has spent the equivalent of the GDP of some small countries over the years training you that booking through them means that you'll get a better price. The goal for all these booking websites is to plant this idea in your brain that they are the cheapest and they are the best, so you don't even need to bother to look elsewhere. This is similar to what Amazon has done, convincing a whole lot of people that they always offer the best price and that it's not even worth comparison shopping. In 2021, the reality is that Amazon usually has the same prices as their competitors, and sometimes they don't even have the best price. But once people have that idea planted in their brain that it's the place to shop, that's the first thing they type into their browser when they're looking for something, and then it's game over. Amazon has won. The truth is, at the end of the day, you will almost never find lower prices on booking websites than you will on a hotel's own website. I said almost never, and I promised to cover the situations where you might, so stay tuned. To prove my point, before I started recording this episode, I pulled up the rates for the Canopy Hilton at the Wharf for our fictional trip January 16th through 20th, 2022. For a king bedroom, City View, fully refundable, on Hilton.com, it's $166 per night. On Hotels.com, it's $166 per night. On Expedia, $166 per night. And Booking.com, $166 per night. You will almost always find that this is the case. When you compare apples to apples, the sites all have the same prices. 
because the price is just the price. It's set by the hotel, not the booking website. Remember, the booking website makes their money off of the commission. Now, I said this was an apples-to-apples comparison, and that's important because what often happens is you're doing a general search for an entire city, and the results will show rates that are, say, from $150 or starting at $150, which, at first glance, appears cheaper than other websites. But once you compare the room type or the booking terms or whether the rate includes breakfast, you realize it's actually not the same. There's a lot that can change prices and value. Remember the quote, to your credit card, it will be cheaper, but the experience will also be cheaper and therefore you don't want to do it. But it's more than just the rate. Travel is a people business. There are intangible things that are important but don't show up on any website. Let me explain. Imagine you and I both have a one-night reservation at the same hotel for tonight. Mine is a direct booking connected to my rewards account, and yours is a booking through a third-party website. The hotel has a vacant suite that is otherwise going to sit empty for the night. Who do you think is more likely to get that complimentary upgrade? Me, of course, because the hotel has a lot more to gain by impressing me than they do by impressing you. Same goes for something like an early check-in. If we both arrive at noon, but check-in isn't until 3, who do you think is going to get the first call that their room is ready? Pretty much across the board, the person who booked direct and has a loyalty account will get priority over the person who booked through a third party. And I want to emphasize that it doesn't even matter if you barely have any points or status or anything like that. Yes, the higher the status, the more likely you are to get the upgrades and the early check-ins and all of that. But think of it this way. If you have the most basic rewards account, you might have, say, I don't know, green status. Eventually, you can earn bronze status, and then gold status, and then diamond status. The person who booked through another website might as well have dirt status as far as the hotel is concerned. Whether you like it or not, we can all probably acknowledge that status matters in the travel industry. So booking direct is an extremely easy way to get a bump in status over lots of other travelers. Okay, we've thoroughly covered hotels, so now I want to move the topic to something that's near and dear to my heart, tours and activities. Booking websites make money the same way from tour companies as they do from hotels, by taking a commission of each sale. Now, I don't actually know what the commission is for hotels, but I can tell you that for tours, the commission ranges from 20 to 30% to potentially even higher depending on which specific website we're talking about. That's a huge amount of money. It means that if you booked the Trip Hex DC Monumental Trivia Tour for $45 on one of those sites, TripHexDC might only get around $30. And these websites don't pay me until after the tour is actually over. Some pay three days after it's over, some seven days, and some of them only pay once per month. So it could be weeks before I see the money for a service that's already been delivered. But again, that's why this arrangement is obviously bad for me. But why should you care as long as you get to take the tour? The most obvious disadvantage for you is that if you need to cancel, you need to deal with them, not me. If you book direct and something comes up, send me an email and I'll issue your refund right away. During COVID, when some people were waiting weeks or months for refunds and fighting over refund policies, all DC customers had refunds within three days. It was painful for me, no doubt. 
but I'm proud of the fact that I took care of my customers when some of the mega corporations did not. Since these websites want to retain the customer lifetime value all to themselves, they give me almost no information about who my tour customers are. When you book a tour on TripHacksDC.com, I ask where you're visiting from, where you're staying, and if you have any special requests. That's actually really useful information, because when I know who to expect, I can make slight adjustments to the tour and make it the best experience. You probably don't even know that these little adjustments are happening, but they are, and that's why I am able to provide a five-star experience to almost every single customer. When you book through a third-party website, all I get is a name, number of tickets, and maybe a phone number. I don't know who you are, where you're coming from, how you found out about the tour, or if you have any special requests. In fact, these websites really don't want me to get a hold of your email address because the email address is gold because that's how they own you as their customer. The problem is withholding your contact information makes it harder for me to get in touch with you. In the case of some websites, the only option is for us to communicate through their website or their app. An example of this is Airbnb. A few years back, Airbnb branched out from apartments, and now they have a side business called Airbnb Experiences, which is basically just tours in most cities. Once someone books an experience, we have to use the Airbnb app to communicate. And honestly, I hate this, because it's often me sending messages into a black hole and just praying that the person on the other end sees them. Everyone texts and emails, but I have no idea if everyone has the Airbnb app installed on their phone, push notifications enabled, and knows how to message back and forth inside that app. I tried listing TripHacks DC tours on Airbnb in 2021, but I gave up about halfway through the summer because Airbnb wasn't generating enough bookings for me to deal with all these headaches. The fact that it's harder for me to communicate with you means it's a worse experience for you too. When you book a tour or activity, you want it to be as easy as humanly possible for the tour company to reach you in the event that anything comes up. Now, hopefully, they don't have to reach you because nothing comes up. But in D.C., sometimes stuff just happens. Sometimes a hurricane takes an unexpected turn up the coast. Sometimes a protest or rally pops up that we have to navigate around. Just a few months ago, I found out the day before a Saturday morning tour that there was a marathon that had been rescheduled due to COVID, and it would close the road that the customers would need to get from their hotel to our meeting spot. Fortunately, because they booked direct, I was able to reach them easily, and we agreed to meet at what is usually the ending spot and do the tour route in reverse, which worked out great. If they had booked through another website and I didn't have their email or phone number, I might not have been able to get that information to them. They would have been frustrated trying to get to the original meeting spot. I would have been frustrated. It would not have been good. So why do these websites do this? It's because, again, they want to own you as the customer. Take Viator, for example. Viator is owned by TripAdvisor, and they were one of the original tour booking websites. When you search for tours on Viator, it is nearly impossible to figure out who is actually operating that tour, and that is not an accident. Viator does not operate tours. They are simply the website that sells you someone else's tour. But unless you know where to click and where to look, you might never know the name of the company that actually operated your tour. What Viator really wants is for someone to book a monuments tour, 
and after their trip, tell all their friends about how they took an awesome Viator tour. Not a Triphex DC tour. And Viator can get away with this, again, because they send your confirmation email, your reminder email. Their phone number is on the confirmation, not mine. Their logo is everywhere, not mine. As far as Triphex DC goes, I list on almost none of these websites. I take the same approach as Southwest Airlines. If you want to book a Triphex DC tour, you have to do it on TriphexDC.com. I do that for my benefit and for yours. I can deliver the best tour when you book it direct. Other companies take the exact opposite approach. They sell on every single website that will list their tour. I don't like this. When you search for tours in Washington, D.C. on TripAdvisor, for example, the first page of results are not the best tours in town. I can promise you that. It's mostly the big chain tour companies that pay the highest commissions. Right now, the number two ranked tour is a hop-on, hop-off bus with an average 3.5-star review. 3.5 stars might not sound that bad, but trust me, it's bad. In tours, if you're below four stars on average, you are way at the bottom of the distribution. So imagine working your butt off to get top placement on one of these websites one year, and then the next year, because they decided they wanted to change their algorithm, or they say they're going to rank based on commission rather than quality, you're stuck in a corner. Your choice now is to either pay them more money for the same thing you used to get or lose business. How do you even choose? It's exploitative, plain and simple. So to bring this back full circle, I know I'm not going to convince everyone to book everything direct when they travel. When you've used certain websites successfully, I understand the appeal and the comfort of knowing that what worked before is probably going to work again. When I was younger, I didn't know any better and I used these websites too. I'm not proud to say that I was convinced by the billion-dollar advertising campaigns. Most of the time, I didn't have any problems, but once I started working in the travel industry and realized there are significant benefits to me, the traveler, to book direct, I never looked back. Now, before I wrap up the episode, there is one thing I've mentioned a few times and promised to cover, so let's talk about that. I'm talking about a business model called opaque pricing. You probably don't know that term, but you probably do know the websites that use it. This is not nearly as prominent today as it was many years ago, but it does still exist. In fact, just before COVID whacked the travel industry, I noticed some younger travel YouTubers discovering this and making videos about how they had uncovered the ultimate travel hack. And I have to be honest, I got a kick out of this because this is definitely a travel hack, but it's not a new one. I've been doing this as far back as the mid-2000s, and others have been doing it for even longer. So what is it? Well, when Priceline launched in the 90s, its shtick was that you could name your own price on travel. Do you remember that, the name your own price on travel? For hotels, the way that it worked was that you would pull up a map with a bunch of different areas outlined on it. You would select one or more of the areas, the star level of the hotel that you wanted, like three-star or higher or four-star or higher, and then you would enter a bid. And if you bid high enough, it would tell you which hotel you would be staying at. If your bid was too low, then you could either choose to add another area and try again or wait 24 hours and then try again. The catch was that even though you knew the star level, you did not know exactly which hotel you were getting. If you bid on four-star hotels, you might get a Westin or a Marriott or a Grand Hyatt. You didn't really know. Hotwire was another website with a similar business model, except that instead of naming your own price, they just showed you the price. The star level, area on a map, 
all that. So it might say four-star hotel in downtown D.C. at $119. And if you went through with the booking, you'd find out that you would be staying at the Westin. The biggest downside to the opaque pricing business model is that you didn't actually get to choose your hotel. There were forums and blogs that helped you use clues like the advertised amenities to guess which hotel you were going to get. But again, you were only guessing what you might get, not actually picking your hotel. The other big downside to this model is that it's 100% completely non-refundable. You pay up front, and if you can't go on the trip, you don't get your money back. Or if you don't like the hotel that they assigned you, you don't get your money back. Now, I'm going to be honest. When I was younger, this is exclusively how I booked hotels. For years, probably from about 2005 through 2012, I only booked hotels on Hotwire or by naming my own price on Priceline. And I got some incredible deals on paper. For this episode, I went through and searched through some very old email confirmations to track down all of these and tell you about what kind of deals I got. One of the best deals was when I stayed at the Affinia Hotel in Midtown Manhattan for $97 per night. I stayed at a Club Quarters in downtown Manhattan for $80 per night. And if you've ever traveled to New York City, you know that price points under $100 are nearly unheard of, or at least at any hotel you would want to stay at. And these were both pretty nice hotels. I stayed at a Renaissance in Philadelphia for $69, a Radisson in Philly for $60, I got a room at the Omni Hotel in Pittsburgh for $75, and I stayed at the Embassy Suites in downtown Baltimore for $43. I also stayed at the Wynn in Las Vegas for $140. Now, this is a bit higher than the previous ones I mentioned, but when I stayed there, it was one of the newest and highest-end hotels in Las Vegas, and it was a holiday weekend, so $140 was actually a deal. I know I also used this for hotels in Chicago and San Francisco, but I couldn't find those email confirmations, unfortunately. Now, Priceline discontinued naming their own price last year, and that was kind of a sad moment for me because of the nostalgia that I have for it. They replaced naming your own price with express deals, which is basically the same as hotwire rates, where you see the price and location and star level. So it's still possible to use opaque pricing to get really cheap rooms. Probably not sub $100 anymore, as prices for everything have gone up a lot since when I was doing this in the 2000s. But when I was booking through these websites, it really did feel like I had discovered a cheat code to travel. And these websites did give me the opportunity to take trips that I would not have been able to swing if I had to pay full price especially those trips to New York City. But the truth is, the last time I booked a hotel this way was about a decade ago. After a bad experience, I gave it up and haven't looked back. I always book direct now. I'm not going to go into the nitty-gritty details, but the short version of what happened is, I booked two nights at a hotel near the beach via Hotwire. It was a holiday weekend, so it was not easy or cheap to get a room on the beach. Unfortunately, the hotel had some issues. The front desk staff and the manager were very nice, but it was the kind of situation where I really didn't want to be there anymore. That's the risk you run when you don't know what hotel you're going to get. The hotel might be under a massive renovation, and that's the reason why they're selling rooms so cheap on these websites, because they don't want to sell those rooms directly to their best customers, because they know the experience will be poor. The manager explained to me that if I had booked direct, he could cancel my reservation, not charge me anything, and we could find another hotel elsewhere. But since we booked on Hotwire, the hotel didn't even have my money, and I'd need to deal with Hotwire to sort it all out. Unfortunately, the Hotwire rates are completely non-refundable, 
and I was unable to get anywhere with them. So I knew that was the risk going in, and after many successful stays in a row, I finally ran out of luck. Now, it's also worth explaining that even when I had a successful stay, there were still some big caveats to it. Nothing in life is free, after all. And in many ways, you do get what you pay for. In many hotels, the rooms are not all created equal. In older buildings, there might be some rooms with weird floor plans or really small square footage or right next to a noisy elevator or with a window facing another building that gets no natural sunlight. These are the rooms that the hotel absolutely does not want to give to their diamond status loyalty members. Frankly, they're the rooms that they really don't want to give anyone they care about. But they don't make any money if the room sits empty, so it's better for them to sell it off super cheap than let it be vacant. I can't remember which hotel this happened in exactly, but I remember I wound up in a room on the first floor, and because of the topography of the hotel, it felt like I was in a basement. There was almost no natural light in this room. It was a nice hotel overall, but not a good room, and you can kind of understand why they sold it to me for super cheap. In another hotel, I think it was the Omni in Pittsburgh, I wound up in a really comically tiny room. And when I looked at the floor plan on the back of the door, I realized that the way this building was built and the way the interior was designed, there was one room on every floor in an awkward corner that was way smaller than all the other rooms. And that was the one that I was in. Overall, with opaque pricing, yes, you can get some amazing deals if you're willing to give up a lot. And understand that if you run into an unlucky situation like I found myself in, you're kind of stuck with it. But that's all I want to say about that, because I know it's not how most people travel. I feel like, in many ways, I am in a unique position to record this episode. I know a lot of tour operators that are extremely frustrated with the booking websites, how they operate, how much money they take in commissions. I know this because I hang out in a few online groups for tour company owners. But I also know that most of them will never publicly say what I've told you in this episode because they rely on those websites for a big chunk of their business. It's really a catch-22 for them. Don't bite the hand that feeds you, as the idiom goes. I'm fortunate that because I've used a different strategy for building a brand and getting word out about DC, I take almost all tour bookings direct. And I'm not just saying all this stuff because it benefits me as a tour company owner. When I travel, I book everything direct because I know it benefits me as a traveler, too. So that's where I'll wrap this up. If you made it this far, then I know you are a dedicated fan of this podcast. So I can tell you that I'm working on an episode right now about how I, as a tour guide, travel. I've tried to make DC not about me, but this is a topic that several people have suggested. So if you want to find out the nitty-gritty details about how I decide where to travel myself, when I go, how I pick hotels, airfare, activities, and all of that, make sure you're subscribed in your favorite podcast app so you can listen as soon as it's live. And since I don't have a guest, I'll go ahead and plug DC. If you liked this episode, there are over 30 other podcast episodes that you can listen to. And as of this recording, there are almost 200 DC videos on YouTube. And during COVID, I started doing live walks around the city, thanks to Ariel from Urbanist Live, who introduced me to that format. So feel free to tune in and join me for any of those. And of course, when you actually come to D.C., I believe very strongly the best way to see the sights is on a guided tour. And if you want that to be with me, 
then you can sign up for one of my private tours over at triphexdc.com. Thanks for tuning in, and as I often say, enjoy your trip. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.